The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run businesses run SAP. Host and moderator Bonnie D. Graham talks with the experts about how game-changing technologies can help you achieve financial excellence for your company. Now, here's Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. And if you want to run with the Game Changers, you are in the right place. Today's Buzz Payment Challenges. Ooh, that sounds ominous. Let's find out what's on the plate for today. Banks and corporations are facing an increasingly complex landscape in the payments arena and associated integration. Guess what? We're talking about new types of payment and currency. We're talking about new technology tools. We're talking about new security threats and security techniques, both sides of that coin. Forgive the pun. And new challengers to traditional providers. They're all contributing to immense change today. I have a quick quote from one of my panelists today. He doesn't know I'm inserting this at the beginning of the show. But SAP's Leonard Schwartz says the following. Amazon, PayPal, and Facebook are redefining what a payments provider looks like and smells like. I'll let you all chew on that one for a minute. We'll be hearing from Leonard in just a minute. So the world of payments is now driven by risk by cost and the ability to reconcile. Those who want to play in this space have two choices the way we see it. They can innovate, go with it, figure it out, or they can face ever greater opportunities to lose and lose big. That's about the two choices. So I have a panel of experts ready to talk to us about this and make sense of it, help you figure it out wherever you are, whatever you're doing. By the way, we have listeners now in over 100 countries, and we thank all of you who tune in either live or on demand to one of our SAP Game Changers radio series. Today is Financial Excellence. So let's get started. I'm going to bring on my first panelist. His name is Tom Durkin. He is the head of Integrated Channel Solutions at Bank of America Merrill Lynch, and he quotes Bill Gates in the following quote, Your most unhappy customers are your greatest source of learning. Sounds like words from the wise to the wise. Tom Durkin, welcome. How are you today? Thank you, Bonnie. Great to be here. Thank you. So talk to me. Bill Gates' quote, let's apply this to our topic. We're talking about payment challenges today. Well, I think it's an interesting aspect to look at the payments industry as a whole. Bill references uh, the source from your unhappy customer's view, and I sit within the product management line, so we're constantly developing new product, looking at enhancing existing ones, and I think historically, you tend to look at a product, how to improve it, and you focus on promoting it, but you have so much more to learn as it relates to the aspect of when it's not working and meeting a specific Mm -hmm. client need, so you focus on improving and you can increase your potential opportunity by looking at both sides of the coin. Every coin has two sides, so we tend to look at both the positive and the negative to improve and add more overall value to what you're delivering at the end of the day. 
Thank you, Tom. I have a question for you. When you say your most unhappy customers, are we introducing the concept of the loud voices on social media, people who are tweeting or going on Facebook or any of the other social tools and saying, OMG, this is awful. I had this experience in my bank or BOAML did this to me or another bank. Where do you hear the unhappiness? How does it come to you to make you smarter, Tom? Great question. I think you focus on listening to your clients, and that can be through a variety of channels. For instance, on our case, we have a number of advisory boards where we meet with, and those are your core set of clients across multiple industries to help you understand the utilization of the product. So it's not just who's screaming the loudest, but who's screaming in an intelligent and an appropriate fashion (laughs) to deliver something at the end of the day. You've got to listen. That's the key word. That's called filtering, yes, and f- filtering between the lines and figuring out what's worth listening to. Great answer, to Thankfully, a good question. Okay, let's welcome the second panelist, Lori McCulley. She's a partner with Treasury Strategies, and Lori has sent me the following quote from Steve Jobs, who was in good company, obviously, with Bill Gates on the show. Older people sit down and ask, what is it? But the boy asks, what can I do? do with it. Lori, this is a very deep quote. I love it. It's the first time I believe we've had this one on the show. So how are you, Lori McCulley? And welcome to Financial Excellence with Game Changers. Hello, Bonnie. So happy to be here. Yes, you know, it's interesting because in my business with treasury technology and helping customers select and use treasury technology, there is a, there is a parallel to, to this quote from, from Steve Jobs where I have people who are opposed to change when they look at a new system or a new process or a new payment type, for example. And there are others who are very eager and look at how it's going to improve their lives. And I think when we examine this quote in the broader context of payments and technology, it is apropos in terms of not just what, what it does, but how, it, how technology can really improve processes and and everything that people are doing we we think of this i mean i think of this as i use my apple technology and many many people out there do and mm-hmm. the app development that has come about as part of um, i think the the apple and and certainly its competitors getting more in tune with how technology can be used to achieve and and make lives better it's just really interesting and i think one of the topics that we'll be talking about today is that of the new technologies that have come up with and are associated with our, our, our tablets, our mobile devices. And uh, when we go to a merchant these days, it, it can be any number of experiences that we didn't have uh, in, in past decades. Thank you very much, Laurie. And I'm going to ask you also to comment on the learning opportunity, the boy asking, what can I do with it? And going back to the Bill Gates quote from your co-panelist, Tom Durkin, how do you hear? How do you, what is it? How do you find out what it is that you want to do something with the it? So where do you find the it? Yes, as we work with our customers who are by and large corporate customers, or we also work with our, our bank clients to help them determine how best they can change their technology and their solution offerings to fit the corporate needs. It's really a case of what, thinking about what are the objectives that, that a, a, somebody working for a given company has to 
uh, what are their goals in terms of their work product that they're they're trying to achieve? And and at, at its very simplest, in our in our business and in, in with Treasury Strategies, we're helping clients in corporate treasuries get their important, high value, large scale wire payments to settle investment trades or foreign exchange trades or any tax payments out the door. And it seems a very simple proposition. But our customers tell us through their challenges that they're encountering with either old technology or not having the right technology at all, uh, what they want in terms of a new system or new applications in which they can feel that they are achieving something more efficiently, doesn't take as much time, and they get better reporting at the end of the day. So it is really... Um, that hands-on work with customers that we're doing where we uh, learn what they're seeking the most. Thank you, Lori. So back to that L word, listening. Sounds good. Thank you. And let's bring on our third panelist. I already dropped his name in the intro. You weren't expecting that one, Leonard. Leonard Schwartz is a director in solution management for the Financial Services Network at SAP. And he has sent me a quote from a character named Thomas in the movie Blow Up. Those of you who don't recall, it was a 1966 film directed by Michelangelo Antonioni about a fashion photographer who believes he may have witnessed a murder and unwittingly took pictures of the killing. It happened to be Antonioni, Antonioni's first entirely English language film. I won't go into the stellar cast, but it was. And the quote is, nothing like a little disaster for sorting things out. Thank you for that interesting quote and le- letting me re- refresh my recollection. Leonard Schwartz, welcome. How are you today? Good, good. How are you? And it's a, it's a pleasure to, uh, to join this panel. Thank you. Happy to have you here. So what's the disaster and who's sorting what out? Let's make sense of these pieces here. Well, first of all, I kind of thought the title of the movie Blow Up was appropriate for the convergence (laughs) of the 2008 financial crisis, new competitors, virtual currencies, threats to infrastructure, and all of this going on all at once. Um, And I've always kind of liked that quote because Thomas doesn't intend to take this picture with um, an afternoon tryst going on in the background and a dead body far, far oh. away, but in the back of the picture. Um, and the, the woman in the tryst comes and she's asking for the pictures back. And she's like, oh, my life's a big mess now, please. And he's, Thomas says nothing like a little disaster for sorting things out. Well, Got it. <laughs> when we look at all of this overwhelming change going on now, I think you can do one of two things you, as, as, as an organization. You can freeze and just be overwhelmed, or you can innovate. So it's a, it's a great time to sort things out through innovation, even if it looks grim at the start. Okay. So how do, how do companies work their way through that grimness? What kind of grit does it take? I'll just ask you to elaborate a little bit. We talked to Tom Durkin and to Lori McCulley about listening to figure out what needed to be done or what the possibilities were that you wanted to focus on. But how do you get through the grimness? Uh, we, we obviously are trying to, but what grimness are we looking at today? It's 2014. Well, I think, it, I think it, it comes back to, to this idea of listening that Laurie and Tom, Tom talked about, and it's, it's understanding that part of all of this disaster that's going on is understanding that people's needs are changing, and you have mm-hmm. to listen to them to understand their needs and find solutions that are appropriate now rather than continuing to do what you did yesterday. 
plus I change, plus not always la même shows. Okay, history doesn't always have to repeat itself. Yeah. Thank you, Leonard. I appreciate that intro. Guess what, panel? It's time for our coffee break segment here. I'm going to ask the three of you what's in your cup today. And in case anybody is new to the show, the reason we do this is to get a little bit of the personality of our guests before we dive into a 30-minute nonstop roundtable segment. But more important, this is part of our franchise of SAP Coffee Break with Game Changers Radio. This is one of our themed miniseries, so I always give all of my guests the benefit of telling us a little more about themselves. We'll start off with Tom Durkin at Bank of America, Maryland. What's in your cup today, Tom, or what do you want us to think you're drinking? Go. Well, let me uh, pick up on just the previous conversation, what you mentioned about the change, because I actually have a cup of coffee that I procured this morning at Starbucks, which I did without pulling my wallet out. Talking about change, something that was a little different for me, but paying for everything across your mobile phone. I don't know if you've tried that or not yet, but it was a good feeling, as if I wasn't really paying for it at the end of the day. That's how it (laughs) felt, and I liked it. But I like the aspect of being uh, a little bit more of the convenience aspect as I walk into a different store. Mm -hmm. And what was exactly in the cup that you purchased that you didn't have to buy? (laughs) <laughs> it was still there. I'm paying for the experience, one might say. Right. What's the flavor of that experience? Come on, you have to tell me. What color was it? What flavor? Grande what blonde. was in it? What was that? A grande blonde. And tell me what that is, because I don't drink. I, I only uh, drink mocha you at Starbucks. You don't have a chance of paying with your, with your mobile phone. Not yet. I only drink mochas, and I try to do it when I'm yes yeah, celebrating something, because it's so good. So what's a, what's a blonde? Blonde would be a lighter roast type coffee with a good kick to it. Nice. It might have been one of the people in the background of that photo in the quote from Thomas and Blow Up. You never you know. Go. Lori McCulley, can you, I won't ask you to top that, dear. What's in your cup today? I am drinking an Arnold Palmer. And for those people who might be in parts of the country or parts of the world that are not familiar with an Arnold Palmer, it's a half iced tea, half lemonade drink. Perfectly refreshing for someone who is in Florida, as am I. <laughs> Wonderful. That sounds delicious. We've never had an Arnold Palmer drink out of 200 radio shows. And let's see, that would be about 600 coffee. Yeah, that's, that's a new one for us. Thank you, Lori. Leonard Schwartz, now I won't ask you to top that one, but can you? Well, no, I'm feeling rather dull, actually. I'm just having a no-foam latte from Starbucks. Because <laughs> okay. I Starbucks as a brand. <laughs> it sounds Perfectly delicious. Okay, guess what? You're all working so hard. I'm going to give you all a break. We're going to go out for about 90 seconds. I'm going to ask my audience, don't even think of touching that mouse, that app, that dial. I'm speaking today with Tom Durkin at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Lori McCulley at Treasury Strategies, and thank you, Treasury Strat, for tweeting for us today, and Leonard Schwartz at SAP. I'm Bonnie D. Graham, in case you haven't figured that out by now. Our, the bigger version of our topic is managing financial performance, new payment challenges and innovation options, but we're basically just focusing on payment challenges. We have a lot of answers and solutions for you coming after the break. We'll be right back. Michael, out. business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Unleash the leadership potential of your finance talent now. Your business needs more than just compliant reports. Today's leading finance departments are asked to support business decision-making to help companies to succeed. With SAP's Risk and Finance Solutions, you can provide the advisory that decision-makers are looking for. No matter what data source, no matter where you are, you can find the information you need to add value. Give your finance talent the right tools to be up to the challenge. www.sap.com The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com from the boardroom to you voice america business network welcome back to financial excellence with game changers presented by sap comments questions send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO. Now, let's get back to financial excellence with Game Changers. Here we are with Tom Durkin at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Lori McCulley at Treasury Strategies, and Leonard Schwartz at SAP. And I'm still Bonnie D. Graham. Our topic today is payment challenges and innovation options. Are you going to freeze, as Leonard said so colorfully, or are you going to go with the flow and figure it out and innovate and survive? Let's start off the roundtable with Tom Durkin at BOAML. I think we can call it that. And you sent me the following note. Uh, Tom, and I think we'll kick off with this. Corporates want more from their banks and at the same time want to create bank independence into their system. And here's the operative statement. Banks are being asked to evolve. Let's start there. Tom Durkin, go ahead. Thanks, Bonnie. Sure. Mm-hmm. This is this is a particular aspect when we look at the capabilities for banks and corporates to work together. And, and from a banking standpoint, in terms of where I sit, where we develop products, where we're looking at leveraging technology for moving forward, there is uh, movement afoot, certainly among corporates as they're looking for banks to break out of that proprietary siloed channel approach as it relates to interacting to more of an omni-channel type approach where there is a desire to work across multiple interfaces, have more of a client-centric view as opposed to the bank-centric view. And I think you're seeing this within the industry. It's certainly critical based upon the corporate feedback that we've heard in terms of evolving and being able to move beyond these proprietary-type channels. Now, how do you support that when you have Mm -hmm. a variety of clients that range from business banking type clients to the largest multinational, certainly a challenge for any bank in any segment to evolve and provide capabilities that can support a corporate client wherever they are on the technology spectrum. So that's trying to take advantage from a banking standpoint to provide capabilities that can be leveraged across the board. And it's a challenge for banks. There's legacy infrastructure that has to be accommodated and overcome, and the capability at which technology is changing to adopt and support corporates in that particular space. I think this is a space that's going to continue to evolve 
and it's going to be a continual challenge for banks to step forward, leverage technology, and, and certainly harness that power that's there to help corporates as they manage all of their interfaces with banks, from the largest companies as they have multiple systems, managing businesses across multiple regions, and utilize technology to really take the best step forward. So you'll see a number of components within the industry that are moving in that direction, and I think it's something that's going to continue to be a challenge for banks, and corporate should be challenging banks to see who can step forward and leverage that from a thought process. So is this um, a new... For- you, Go ahead, Laurie. you work with mm-hmm. corporates, they, they certainly uh, express a desire to want to be bank agnostic, meaning they don't want to have to have their technology dictate their banking relationships. But at the same time, that doesn't mean they're going to, uh, they don't, they're not really willing to expand to the nth degree their, their bank, uh, the number of banks with which they deal. But as a, as a bank, in terms of your resources, how do you prioritize what the corporates, uh, how the corporates want to connect with you? I, it must be frustrating when you feel like you've got to be able to support whatever the new thing is that corporates want to, to connect with. Excellent point, Lori. Well, I think about it in terms of there are certain capabilities as it relates to payments that can be consistent across the different approaches or what's important. Go back to one of the earlier points that uh, Bonnie led off with, risk, cost, reconciliation. There's a lot of avenues and a lot of focus around reconciliation. If you can harness that information and provide consistencies across channel, whether someone is coming into the online space and logging in via web browser to pull down information, whether it's getting pushed as an acknowledgement across their mobile phone, or they need to feed a reconciliation file directly into their SAP system. You've got to have a balance and be able to utilize that data in multiple fashions versus one step uh, and sequential type process. But it is a challenge because technology changes fast enough and the client appetite um, may be evolving as well. Thank you, Tom. Thank you, Laurie, for the good question. brought up a a phrase, Mm -hmm. actually, that I feel kind of impassioned about, which was bank agnostic. And it's a phrase that I don't like. And and I spent a lot of my life working for banks on the bank side as, as, as well as as SAP now, I don't think any corporate is agnostic to who they bank with. I think what they're asking for is they're asking for independence in their systems, in, in their IT infrastructure, um, so that they can move more agilely towards meeting challenges. I think at the same time, with all of this crisis that we were talking about before, companies are asking banks to do things like, I need more advice on how do I do business? How do I set up a, a banking sort of infrastructure in this country? Or how do I deal with, you know, financial markets? Or how do I deal with, with FX risk? So there's a huge opportunity for banks to move into um, an expanded trust or advisor type space. And at the same time, the price on the other side is making your infrastructure independent. But your bank choices, I don't think, are ever going to be agnostic. I don't care who I deal with. That's true. That's a fair point. Yep. Good, good conversation. I want to bring in a, a, a word. I'm not sure I heard it yet. This is Bonnie. A word. I'd like to have you all respond before we move to one of Lori's points. Uh, but the question is uh, transparency. Corporates want more visibility into the payment system. They might want a tracking system. Is that on the on the landscape? Is that here now? Is that something that's on your on their wish list? Uh, Tom Durkin, this was one of your talking points. You want to bring us up for this? 
Well, I do think the theme of transparency really echoes throughout what corporates are asking for the banks. Um, mm-hmm. Len talked about managing multiple banking relationships, understanding processes, things where they may have been done behind closed doors on the bank side. Mm-hmm. But I think that's a movement. So let's bring that back to, to the payment space. Um, anybody that goes online today and, and certainly may purchase goods via Amazon or any online site you, can, site, you can get a pretty good tracking of where that package is as you procure it, right? Moves through the system, mm-hmm. status checkpoints, somebody may email you. I think that same type of visibility is going to be moving into the payment space. You get a limited amount of visibility today from your banks relative to if it's been processed, you get a sense, you get maybe a status level confirmation. But as you move beyond the United States and say do more payments globally, there's much more challenge relevant to the fact of did my payment get there? Did the full payment amount, the full principal get there? And I think we're seeing more the need for more visibility as it relates to providing that FedEx-type model or tracking to be visibly globally for clients who want better access to information. That's because that consumerization of business is starting to occur, where we all live things on Mm -hmm. the consumer side of the house, and some of those things are really starting to influx on the banking or the payment side as it relates to the uh, corporate or wholesale-type processing. That is Great so point, true, Tom. I think it's the. I feel like it's the last mile where corporate still, as we work on treasury technology projects, are asking for things that should have feel like they should have been available to them years ago, and and by that I mean things that will help them become more efficient in the accounts receivable process and the accounts payable process, in terms of getting all the information they need on a particular payment to be able to apply it to a receivable account or determine whether or not their supplier actually received the received payment. It. It's just amazing that in some ways we, we are operating in, in an environment where it feels like, and of course this depends on the geography and what have you, but mm-hmm. it feels like in some ways we are not tremendously better off than we were, although that's, that's, that's probably fault for me to state that it just some customers express that frustration and in large part it could be from shortcomings on their own system side rather than rather than the banks or their or their counterparties uh, technology absolutely I, I actually think we should let's go with that frustration um, and mm-hmm. I think that lack of transparency is very much a function of the fact that you've got a system in which there are totally separate disconnected domains. What happens in the bank is what happens in the bank. What happens in the clearing system is what happens in the clearing system. What happens on either side happens on either side. So the idea of doing sort of the end-to-end FedEx tracking is, aha, well, you know what? FedEx can now sort of link up um, what happens across. Its, it, it's controlling the entire chain. So, so we need to find ways, and I think technologies like the cloud help in this regard, because it's easy to exchange information with, um, linking together what's happening at one bank to another bank across a clearing system, and then you can look at things end-to-end. So if you order from Amazon, Amazon's connected to, um, in an end-to-end flow, that FedEx delivery truck that's delivering the package or handing it off to your local carrier. Um, and it really hurts when you can't get that tracking, actually. I've ordered, ordered packages from Amazon sort of not in the U.S. places, and it's like, oh, 
we just sent that through the mail, so we have no idea what happened to it. And I was like, ouch. Ouch. I'm so ouch. used to having that end-to-end view. <laughs> and and we, FedEx spoiled. can do that when they mm-hmm. own the whole model and, yeah. and track it. And I think we've all become so expectant of it's going to work, so you have that. And I think that the challenge or, or the benefit that's going to come at the end of the day is when it doesn't work. And think about it in terms of when the payment doesn't get there to an important supplier. How do you know that sooner as opposed to when – Tom is calling Len to say, Len, you never sent me that check. And when you send those goods. So I think getting to that uh, percent that's not working to will, will help provide specific improvements relative to the transparency aspect. Thank you all for a good discussion. I want to move in a slightly different direction here. I want to turn to some notes that Lori McCulley sent me before the show. And let's bring in the big S word, data security. Lori says, data security and in particular payment security has become of greater concern to the CFO chain of command. So let's explore security. We talked about transparency and how do you know it's coming or it's going or where was it or why can't you track it? Why can't we bring the consumer side to the corporate side? Well, that sounds like it's in progress, in process, but security is always going to be an issue. Lori McCulley, why don't you kick off our conversation on data security and payment security, please? What strikes me about this topic is it's not anything necessarily new, although there mm-hmm. are there are increasing and different threats from, from uh, any other uh, particular time. In our corporate clients, there are always devoted IT security resources who are assessing any new system or any new process for the risks that are inherent in that particular system. But what I find interesting is that in the last, let's say, six months on various projects on which we're working, the question of security has come up from people other than IT, in particular the treasurer or the CFO, rather than focusing on, let's say, what, what a particular functionality might be within the payment system, they're focused on how do I know my data is secure? How can I uh, go beyond uh, two-factor authentication, which is you know, like who you are, which is a user ID, and something you might have, which is a, a token. That's, that's a pretty simplistic definition mm-hmm. of it. But I feel like the security question is coming up more frequently, it's also come up, I think, because of cyber risk events that these very corporate treasurers may have had their team encounter. I'll just relate quickly the story of one client who <clears throat> said, now they were a large energy company, and it was a, a, a day on which they had a lot of large wires to do. They were using a system. It was a, a bank system, not Bank of America's system, but the, the platform went down, and they were trying to settle contracts that would have financial penalties if the payments didn't go. And um, so the, the, the platform was down. I don't think it was a, a, a large-scale cyber risk attack, but the corporate was saying to me, we had to change our total way of looking at this because the payment stream was threatened that day, and we couldn't get the payments out until the very, very end of the day, and we were very nervous. So they're redoing their whole um, way that they connect with their banks and, and their system. They're not changing banks. They're just changing the technology with which they use to connect to banks. So I think that the general, you know, the target incidents of cyber, cyber risk, the data not 
being secure, we, 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 we face that in our own personal lives from an identity theft perspective. It's just a conversation that more and more times is occurring in our client work, and it seems pronounced of late. So I, I wanted to know what Lynn and Tom exactly. thought about that and, and where they think we're headed with that, if we can ever really um, truly mitigate it or make our clients feel secure about that. Leonard? I think it's, I think it's hard to stay, stay ahead of. Um, these incredibly sophisticated um, people that are that are the the cybersecurity security risk. I mean, I, I I was sort of fascinated that people now get into systems through vending machines, through you know your heating system. Um, so I think we're we're learning more as as we go. But I also think because technologies evolve, there are um, this amazing array of things that you can do that we haven't fully absorbed yet. You could, for example. Um, aside from you know people generally use encryption, um, but you can also separately encrypt individual fields in a message, um, and have one party hold one set of keys and another party hold another set of keys. Um, you've got to find techniques like that. What you can't do is just sort of totally hide and fold up. That doesn't that doesn't work. I think the other issue is reliability. Um, so so you were saying maybe not a major cyber attack, Lori, but you know you know maybe the system was just down. Um, and I think that 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 is absolutely a technology play. Uh, what are your alternate What are your alternate routes? What's your disaster recovery plan? Um, and it's 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 always interesting. People need to have a very rigorous disaster recovery plan, and I think that's a discipline that a lot of companies are actually just developing and paying serious attention to. Certainly, certainly, nine eleven was a big sort of move towards awakening people. Um, to, to, I need a disaster recovery plan. Um, but I think also with the crisis in 2008 and people having to look at all of their relationships, understand risk, um, that that added an, a, another sort of push towards looking at reliability. So, so to me, it's about figuring out how to use technology that evolves both for reliability and to add extra layers of security. Um, and some of it's also just common sense. Don't hook up your heating and air conditioning system computer access to where you store your cards, as an example. Yes, Lynn, Thank and you. Tom, I'm, I'm sure you want to comment. One other thing, I think that the disaster recovery plan is absolutely right. I think that we're now seeing some companies take it a step further, which is, I've heard it referred to as backup payments mm-hmm. uh, plan, pay, payment remediation plans, but essentially putting in place kind of a shadow uh, payment um, uh, bank, if you will, so that if, if, if for some reason that we can't foresee, a, one of our clients said, well, I'm putting in place a whole separate set of disbursement accounts with this other bank who can step in if need be. Now, that seems uh, a little on the excessive side, but they must have had an event that traumatized them sufficiently to make them do that. I don't, I don't want to portray that that's a broad trend, but it is an example of how people will go to relative extremes to try and protect against that type of risk. Depends on how bad the damage is. Tom Durkin, we want to hear from you in this conversation, please. Well, this is a great topic because it's something that um, I think when corporates look at banks and when they look at the viewpoint, we, we do have to play that role of not just trusted advisor for their money, their financial viability, but their data. That is a big change that has evolved. And, and Lori's correct. We're seeing more clients who want to test it to make sure that they can run 
in a contingency mode and think about it in, in terms of clients who may were have been impacted by, say, Hurricane Sandy. Go back uh, uh, just within the last two years where they had to mm-hmm. move Treasury and they couldn't do it in the New York region and had to run it from a different country in a sense. So I've, I've seen that. I see it evolving. And I think it is much more popular. We see it as, as business comes to us in terms of a request for a proposal. How do you describe your contingency planning? And a part of that is how you're treating it. And, and for most banks, I don't think you can be in a position where you just go about testing it. In, in, in certain aspects, the banks are on such on the front lines based upon protect, protecting the consumer franchise, protecting their corporate customers. You kind of have to live contingency every day based upon your system readiness, your availability, and how your corporates need to interact with you. Because I, I think to simplify it, you don't really be, want to be, well, let me, let me back up. You want to be the bank that's the bank that people look at to model. You don't want to be referred to as that bank where there was an issue. <laughs> Casting aspersions none, notwithstanding. Thank you all. I want to turn the conversation to another word, a key word I picked up from some of Leonard Schwartz's talking points before the show. The word is efficiency. And Leonard says, think of consumers and the stock market in the old pre-2008 days you were willing to pay for inefficiency it was reflected in the margins those companies were making. Leonard, why don't you kick off this part of our conversation, please, and then we'll ask Lori and Tom to chime in. When we talk about technology and how can technology better a process, a lot, a lot of the driver, in, in my mind, has to do with, with efficiency. So in the past, we had lots of inefficient processes, and that was okay because that had a cost to it, and people were willing to pay that cost. Two things are happening. Um, one is people are less willing to just pay for that inefficiency um, as, as sort of financial stuff gets harder to, harder to deal with. And, and secondly, from a regulatory point of view, um, there is a drive to creating, I'm going to come back to the word transparent that we talked about before, mm-hmm. but a more transparent, more documented, more secure, more you know, open to disaster recovery contingency process um, and that in of itself is driving the need for efficiency. So you've got two forces that are pushing in the market to be more efficient. And at the same time, let's come back to this notion, just as consumers were not willing to say, ah, okay, so if you're going to run this sort of manual process with all of this stuff, I don't care if I pay you know, $5 or €5 Euro for that. That's not a problem. Well, now they're saying, oh, no, maybe I don't want to pay more than $1 or one euro for that, and you've got to drive your processes to become efficient. And in the payments market, the payments market is so fragmented that it's a market that almost speaks to inefficiency. So the other way to look at it is there's lots of opportunity to make it more efficient. Laurie? Well, I, I come back to corporate will will look at it's interesting because i feel like they take a two pronged look at the, the the term efficiency if they can quantify efficiency in a particular process and in this case payments absolutely but they won't if they're trying to make a and this is maybe more my world if they're trying to make a technology uh, decision as relates to payments and using a particular uh, solution or application for payments You've got to be able to quantify that efficiency, or it becomes it becomes maybe a qualitative benefit or something that yes, certainly corporates are trying to become more efficient, but it 
it's something that they want to be able to put dollars and cents to, and sometimes that's doable in the payments world, and sometimes from a pure process standpoint, it's not. And I think back to what we were talking about earlier, if you can quantify the effect that, it's, that, that let's say, better remittance data is going to have on the AR process, then definitely they'll go for it. Thank you, Laurie. Tom Durkin, thoughts? Uh, there are some examples, Len, of efficiency in the payment system, right? Think back in your warehouse mm-hmm. there. Maybe uh, some examples that are there need to be leveraged a little bit more. I would say within the U.S., banks got pretty good at processing checks, but that doesn't do you any good when people aren't writing checks anymore. So <laughs> that's the evolution concept. We've got to evolve more. And those processes in terms of information that would flow around it, those things have evolved as well. So, because you need to put, I like the idea of putting a price on the efficiency. If I think about why corporate customers are out there and why would they choose one bank over another or they're evaluating services, they've got to have plus one. They've got to have a concept, well, here's how I do it today, but if I choose and, and move my business to someone else, I'm going to get this much more. That's the plus one concept. So I think the need for efficiency is there but there's got to be a better opportunity to call that out in a sense and be able to articulate it so those who are making the decisions on the client side can see that and can leverage it based upon others that may have already. Thank you, Tom. I want to bring in a quick quote from Lori McCulley in her notes to me before the show addressing a point you just made, Tom. Lori says we're still going to be using checks in 10 years unless the government mandates that they are eliminated. There's another E word. Lori, you want to speak to that for a moment? Well, I wish I had some, you know, hard evidence that the government was, that this was in, in front of Congress, but as far as I know, it's not. I think that quote, that, that statement came as I might have been writing a check to, uh, to, to, we're doing a remodel on a house in Oregon, and they're, oh, everybody wants checks, and it drives me nuts. So, uh, that, that, that's, I, I just, I'm interested at the pace at which checks are, not going away, maybe that's a double mm-hmm. negative, but why, well, are, what, what are Len and Tom's perspectives as relate to the, if you'd said 10 years ago that we'd still see the check volume that we have today, would that surprise you, or, or you know, what do you think about that? I want, I want to go back to Tom's grande blonde. <laughs> Was it just the blonde? You're, you're just holding your phone up to the scanner. No need yes. for a check anymore. Correct. Absolutely. Um, the, the UK government, I think, actually did try and, and, and not outlaw checks, but um, said that they would no longer be a guaranteed financial instrument. Um, so, so they sort of lost, they, they would have lost their reliability uh, in terms of, of, of being a true financial instrument, but then they had to back off of that. So I think at the same time, um, how many checks are written using home banking, bill pay, where you do something electronically, and you know, well, the bank maybe still does the check, and maybe there's float in there. Let's not talk about that. But um, people are doing things increasingly electronically, um, and I'm going to guess the next generation is when checks are not going to disappear but shrink significantly. I think it's going to be very hard to get this generation to do it, but I think the next generation is used to the idea of um, holding their phone up to the scanner. You know, it, it, I remember when ATMs were introduced, and that was mm-hmm. a big thing. And, yes. and, you know, my mother yeah. still wanted to go to the teller, and I went to the ATM to get cash. 
Next and micro- there's, there's and no microwaves. Cap. Yes. Uh, Lynn, I want to bring, bring up a point here. We talked about getting rid of checks and paper years ago, but do you think the old tree-hugging mantra of save a tree, would anybody say we have to save the paper for the checks? Do you think and that might resonate with millennials? I don't know. We're going to take a break in exactly three minutes. I want to go around the table here with one more thought. We've introduced it a little bit, but I want to just get this before we go to our predictions round after the break. And this is going back to the surprise <laughs> the price quote I introduced from Leonard Schwartz into the opening, it was Amazon, PayPal, and Facebook are redefining what a payments provider looks and smells like. So is there anybody else in the sidelines, anybody off stage who would be entering that arena as a new type of payments provider? And what do you think? Are, are Amazon, PayPal, and, and Facebook going to be the leaders here? Leonard, and then Tom, and then Lori, please, a minute each. I think that there, there are a lot of people trying. I think it is about mm-hmm. brand and brand recognition. Um, okay. I would almost guess, just as much as Amazon can introduce Amazon payments, I wouldn't be surprised to see a Starbucks try and go in a similar direction not too far in the future. Okay. Laurie, what do you think? Yes. Along those same lines, it's clear that the large-scale retailers are interested in this space, and you can add Walmart to that list from their announcement late last week that they are entering the, the payment space, and you can send uh, Walmart to Walmart payments. Um, through their stores, and that's an interesting thing because they had an arrangement with MoneyGram um, <laughs> to to use MoneyGram service. So they're essentially changing the nature of that partnership relationship. But yes, I think that um, increasingly these retailers, and, and let's if we just think about Amazon, Amazon probably views themselves less as a retailer than as a global payments provider, and that will spur innovation. Very interesting. Tom Durkin, you want to finish us off before break? I'll give you a minute. Go ahead. So many companies out there are interested in leveraging the successful franchise that the banks have already contributed to. So how do you find that space where you're supporting some of those clients that were previously mentioned and then helping enable them to succeed in their business when the traditional payment rails reside mostly on what the banks have delivered today? That's kind of the dynamic of where if we want payments to evolve, we need to go to a sense of where potentially there is coopetition, where maybe you're competing and maybe working on collaborating in certain spaces. So it, it's an interesting avenue. All those companies provide different viabilities. There's that. But how many players can be in the payment space? That's the key question at the end of the day. Thank you very much. At the end of the day, we're going to take a break right now. We're going to run out of time. We're going to go into our crystal ball predictions ram when we come back with Tom Durkin at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Lori McCulley at Treasury Strategies, and Leonard Schwartz at SAP. I know they're going to run out now. And that 90-second break, they're going to run out to the shed or the trunk of the car or the, the attic or wherever. They're keeping that crystal ball. They're going to polish it off and take a look. And the question will be, if we got back together again five years from today in 2019, or if you love the idea that hindsight's 2020, you can pump it up. Up six years to 2020, what will we be talking about in terms of payment challenges? What will have been achieved? Will we, anything have changed? Will we even be talking about it five or six years from today? I'm Bonnie D. Graham. We're going to go out for a break. You don't want to miss the predictions. These are going to be great. Michael, out. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Unleash the leadership potential of your finance talent now. Your business needs more than just compliant reports. Today's leading finance departments are asked to support business decision-making to help companies to succeed. With SAP's Risk and Finance Solutions, you can provide the advisory that decision-makers are looking for. No matter what data source, no matter where you are, you can find the information you need to add value. Give your finance talent the right tools to be up to the challenge. www.sap.com The time for enterprise mobility is now, according to IDC. By 2013, over 1.19 billion workers worldwide will be using mobile technology, comprising 34.9% of the workforce. The impact of mobility on business is clear. Increasing numbers of business users are expected to handle critical tasks and decision-making in real time, no matter where they are. SAP and Sybase and SAP Company offer mobile applications and underlying infrastructure with integration to SAP systems for secure access to business processes anytime anywhere and on any device www.sap.com from the boardroom to you voice america business network welcome back to financial excellence with game changers presented by sap comments questions send an email to bonnie.d.gram at sap.com and you're invited to tweet during and after the show at hashtag SAPRADIO Now, let's get back to Financial Excellence with Game Changers Here we are and it's time for the Crystal Ball Round Predictions looking ahead to 2019 or at my guest's decision at their discretion 2020 which should be wonderful and golden so let's take a look Forward and back with Tom Durkin at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Tom, we met again at that point in time in the future. What do you think we'd be saying about our topic today? New payment challenges, which may not be so new at that point, and innovation options. Go ahead. The quest for continued innovation would still be resonating at that point in 2019, five years from now, because I'd still like to be working, doing my job around payments at that particular point. I hope we haven't squeezed the innovation out of the cycle. So... I think you're going to start to feel, go back to a little bit we started picking at in the prior conversation, but the aspect where your personal life and your business life start to blur together. It's already happening, right? You got a BlackBerry, mm-hmm. you look at your emails, off hours, you're not in the segment of, of working in a job from nine to five. Who would have ever thought five years ago, as I look back, that you could work with your company and bring your own device to work, and you would check and access your company systems on your own device, BYOD, as it's referred to. Never would have right. thought that would have happened five years ago at Bank of America, that's for sure. And that's evolving here. So you're, you're, what you're starting to see are those signs where the consumer side of your life is really infiltrating with the commercial side. And I think that's going to really apply to payments. That's going to bring us to the point where within five years, we'd have that hopeful goal of better transparency, better understanding across the board of where things will lie, and really the mixture. Have you gotten the convenience out of the payment cycle and everything you need uh, relative to what you're looking for as uh, a corporate customer? So I think there's a mixture of the worlds coming together And then I think you're going to also see, as in the discussion evolved, not just about the payment itself, 
I don't think the aspect, and I think people will still be writing checks, I'd be willing to go on the record for that, because mm-hmm. that control aspect that you do have, which we see from a lot of, a lot of different companies, still is there in terms of the aspect of controlling it. That obligation that's there in regards to understanding how things are going to evolve. So I think that's a little bit harder of a, a trend to break. But I do think um, as payments evolve, the key innovation will be around the data that wraps around the payment. Um, that's really starting to percolate now. It's really coming together in terms of the information that flows with the payment, especially as you leverage e-commerce, leverage information systems that pass better data. I think we're going to be talking more about the transaction lifecycle with the payment data at the core hub of that. That's what's beating in regards to what's going to change over time. Thank you very much, Tom Dirk. And now it's time for Lori McCulley at Treasury Strategies. Lori, two minutes. What's your prediction? What are your predictions, please? Bonnie, my crystal ball has a couple of elements. One is what's happening on the individual side, and the other is on the corporate side. So from an individual or retail perspective with, with, with regard to payments, I believe that we will finally get credit cards with chips in them, uh, which mm-hmm. our friends in Europe and elsewhere in the world have, but we don't in the U.S. Hmm. I think it'll be, we've got, we've got some initial forays into it here, but it, it will be more broad-based. That should help from a security perspective and a number of other, other uh, regards. Also, I would think that by 2019 or 2020, merchant fees, the pressure on merchant fees for cards will be down, so there will be uh, a greater use of cards and electronic uh, payment via cards from corporates than there is now. I hope we're not using checks, but I have to agree with Tom <laughs> that we still will be. I think it it will be in in pockets, though. It'll be more on the the individual side in certain in certain regions, probably. And then I think from a retailer perspective, we will have an expectation that retailers will be if we so desired, because we're a global economy now, where we're, if we're dealing on a website where we're buying something from a particular website internationally that we'll be able to pay in whatever currency we want, uh, that, that, that um, there will be that flexibility. I think Amazon and the, their kin are moving toward that, and I expect that that will be much, much more fleshed out than it is today. From a Thank you, Laurie. Perspective, yeah, go ahead. Mm-hmm. From a corporate perspective, I think back to the security, there will be more around security, more onerous uh, things from a corporate perspective, but one that should improve security, although, as Len says, it's hard to, to forecast what, what we're going to encounter, but it will be more security than we have today, I'm predicting. And then to, to Tom's point, the integration that corporates seek with their banks will be uh, more realized in various different ways. There will be things that we don't know about, um, perhaps on the horizon today, that will just be starting up. I think things will be uh, more fleshed out by then. Uh, SAP Financial Services Network, SWIFT will get greater adoption on the part of banks. So the, 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 there will be a push toward, as Tom says, that integration and better data between corporates and banks and there may be some new channels that we're not seeing today, and certainly the new ones that are, that are in place today that I just mentioned or ones that are already established will be um, much more widely adopted. 
Thank you, Lori. And let's move to Leonard Schwartz. Len, as everybody's been calling you, I don't know why I didn't call you Len. Len, I can give you about a minute and a half because some of our guests went a little long. So go ahead. Predictions now. Okay. A, a, couple, of, a couple of different forecast threads. One is I, I indeed agree with Lori. I think that cards um, are absolutely um, another payment network and, in fact, will be more used by corporates in the future. Uh, because of lots of different changes. Um, I believe that the world of payments infrastructure is going to get driven closer and closer, maybe not totally altogether, but closer and closer, and uh, we'll have to deal with being um, much more of a seamless, borderless system because that's how people and companies operate, and that's what the next generation will expect. They will expect to be able to deal seamlessly whether they're ordering from Amazon in the U.K. or Amazon in, in the U.S., as an example. Um, sort of second thought, I think the cloud is absolutely brilliant and often totally misunderstood and maybe scary to people, but um, it really allows you to use technology and deploy technology, not just quickly, but at a much lower cost than you could before. So the cost of um, infrastructure that enables... Um, stronger security that enables greater reconciliation, um, those sorts of things, uh, is far lower, and, it, and it's far more achievable by companies than it was before. And I think that will change the ability One and more. of companies Ten seconds. to look at different challenges. Thank you very much. Sorry to cut you. We are just about at the end of our time. I have my predictions. Tomorrow's Tuesday. It's HR Trends with Game Changers, 9 a.m. Pacific. Wednesday, Coffee Break with Game Changers, 8 a.m. Pacific. Thursday, Future of Business with Game Changers, 7 a.m. Pacific. And we'll be right back here with Financial Excellence next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific. Thank you, Tom Durkin, Bank of America, Merrill Lynch. Thank you, Lori McCulley at Treasury Strategies. Thank you, Lynn Schwartz at SAP. And appreciation to Leonard for helping to pull this topic and the guest list together. Very much gratitude to you. Uh, Birgit Starmans, Aaron Hughes, and Chris Grundy at SAP. Thank you also. Michael and the Business Channel team. I'm Bonnie D. Graham. Here's my call to action. You know what it is. You've been listening. I hope you're doing it. Fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today. Talk to you tomorrow right here on HR Trends with Game Changers. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Financial Excellence with Game Changers, presented by SAP. The best-run business is run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to hashtag SAPRADIO and join host Bonnie D. Graham again next Monday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern, here on the Business Channel, wishing you a game-changing week. Game-changing week.